0: Welcome to the Love Your Library podcast. I'm Hattie Dulac and this episode, I'm joined by Faith Hogan, writer of the best-selling Ladies' Midnight Swimming Club. Faith is here to talk about her latest release, The House by the Sea, which is a story about how the places people escape to can provide the ideal setting for self-reflection and transformation. We spoke about a love of libraries, what the difference is between writing uplifting fiction versus crime fiction, and how real-life issues are important to write about. Please note that there are some topics we discuss that some listeners might find a bit sensitive, so take a look at our show notes for more information about those, and otherwise, we hope you enjoy the episode. The interview starts with a short excerpt from the book.
1: This is the Guest House by the Sea, and we are beginning by meeting one of the guests who's coming to the Guest House this summer. Up until the first dance, everything had been perfect. It was such a beautiful wedding, all that Connor and Lydia had hoped for and more. Everything had gone off with hardly as much as a hiccup. The best man's speech had been funny and just the right side of tasteful. There were no embarrassing stories or bad language to upset the parish priest, who could at times be a bit of a dry stick. And even Father O'Sullivan himself had managed to give a sermon that was both sincere and entertaining, which might have been a first. The guests had arrived from all over. The women had turned up in hats. Will had hats come back into fashion? Cora had worn a feathery affair, perched jauntily on her newly done hair, just to keep Lydia happy. It really was the perfect wedding. Cora enjoyed every second of it until that moment. She wasn't even sure what it was about seeing her son and his new bride dancing to a song that was such a hackneyed wedding tune. It shouldn't have stirred anything more in her than admiration and joy for the lovely couple. Maybe she did know what it was, and she just wasn't brave enough to put the words on it. She felt huge, hot tears well at the back of her throat, a mixture of joy and loneliness churned up in her after such an emotional day. She was standing, an insignificant part of the large circle that swayed around the newlyweds the bands belting out their well-loved chorus. The guests around Cora were heaving closer to the floor. Lydia's sister Lenore and the best man had taken up position to join the bride and groom for the first dance. Next, it would be the turn of the parents. Lydia's parents were older than Cora and Michael, but she watched them take to the floor with a confidence that spoke as much about their ease with each other as their ability to dance together. Michael was not a dancer, but he'd promised Lydia he would do one circuit, just one, And then he was off the hook for the rest of the evening. Connor nodded towards them now. It was their turn to join the dancing and Cora turned to Michael next to her. He placed one hand firmly on her hip. With the other, he grabbed her hand. For a moment, she wondered if perhaps he'd been awake on some of those evenings when she'd been engrossed and strictly. They shuffled awkwardly about the floor. Cora looked up into her husband's face and that was the moment she realised Michael was not really there anymore. Well, that's to say he was standing right in front of her, but he might as well have been sitting on the moon because suddenly she was completely alone. In that split second, it felt as if her very core shifted, as if the whole dance floor had been tipped at the slightest angle and her happy equilibrium sloshed over the side. It was a strange sensation of being emptied of something vital when she should have been brimming with utter joy. So. It's hard to pick out a piece when you're just starting, you know, you're just, we're just at the beginning of the book's journey and you go through it and there's so many pieces you think, oh my goodness. Yeah, but anyway.
0: Yeah, oh. exactly. Exactly. And I think it's interesting. Um, And I guess we'll get into it in a second. but It's interesting because there are obviously so many characters with their different storylines. It's hard to pick a place to, to start. So for the benefit of our listeners, would you be able to tell me a bit about the book? Of course, I'd love to. Um, the Guest House by
1: the Sea is, I suppose, a love story to Bally Cove. Bally Cove is a fictional village that I've written into a number of books already. This is probably going to be my second last Bally Cove book. So I suppose it was a way to celebrate. It's about an old fashioned guest house with a lady called Esme Goldthorpe at the helm. She's 82 years old. She's coming to a stage in her life where perhaps a lot of people begin to feel invisible. And she begins the season with the bad fall and breaks the leg. So she finds herself relegated to a dome chair in the hallway for the whole season and where she should probably feel irrelevant or become irrelevant or maybe be easily ignored. Esme, um, through her quick wit and her smarts, becomes an integral part of the guest house in a way she never was before. And we get to meet a number of the guests, including Cora from the excerpt there, who come to the guest house with various issues that they have to resolve. And Cora provides, I'd say, the path to resolve them, the the guest house and the the village of Ballycove and the scenery and the sea, and it's it's a beautiful place. That provides the ban, but Esme provides the path.
0: That's it, I think. It's it's such a sweet book, really, really kind of like uplifting and and lovely. And as you mentioned, Ballycove seems like this really idyllic setting to kind of self-reflect. You describe it beautifully as kind of coastal and gorgeous kind of um, retreat, which is great. So you mentioned that you've written about it in in many of your books already. So what kind of compelled you to to write about this this area?
1: So I live in the west of Ireland. I live um, in this place, but I, I've kind of cheated a little bit. Um, I've taken I've taken all the best bits along a stretch of about 40, 50 miles of coastline along the along the north coast of Mayo we do live in a very beautiful place and um, I regularly would post stuff on social media. I have woods on my doorstep, but our, our town is a beautiful town. But, but, but apart from that, apart from having the river in the town and, and the and the woods and we have a stretch of coastline that's absolutely beautiful. And it's for the most part untouched and unspoiled because it's very rural. So when you go to the beach, we, we go to the beach for a walk on the beach. We're often the only people there and there's something very inspiring about it. Yeah. And I just thought I'd like to share it. And it's, it's, it's funny because people who live in the very central parts of America love the books because some of those people have never seen the ocean, you know. So so a Faith Hogan book for them is like a holiday on the west coast of Ireland. <laughs> and people in Tokyo <laughs> get the book. It's funny, you know, it's just, it's a strange thing, but it, it works, I think, well. And it works for the kind of book I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that was uplifting, that you fall into the pages. And when you fall, when you leave them, you feel as if you've been on holidays. And that's, that's kind of. I hope I've done that with the House, Let's see. I, I really have
0: tried. I think you've succeeded because when I read it, I was very. It was immersive in that kind of comforting sense. You know, you could really feel yourself being in this safe and comforting environment. It, it's it, the guest House itself is this kind of charming, almost transformative place as well. As you mentioned, people kind of converge there to resolve emotional problems that they have and includes this kind of idea of a, a guest book with sort of inspirational quotes that change every day, almost like a magic eight ball. So I wanted to ask if you were to arrive at the guest house yourself and look into the guest book and see a quote, what inspirational quote do you think you would like to see there?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, I suppose my, my there, there are a couple of things I suppose I kind of live by. I suppose one of them is kindness. The other is, I suppose, I've always, I, there's one there's one saying, oh, there's many sayings, oh my goodness, but um, there's one saying, I suppose, that I think I might have used it, and it's just basically that you get more out of life with honey than vinegar. And I think that that's one to live by. And that's the whole idea of if you treat people well, and if you treat where you live well and, and, and your surroundings well and your life well, it'll send back, you'll get honey rather than vinegar back. <laughs> and I think that's that's one that's always, I sort of, it's always been there. And and I think yeah, I prefer to get a better one than that
0: for me anyway. Yeah, that's very nice, and it's um, I don't know, it's almost like a very practical one as well, which oh, was, for no one's going to go around. And I guess part of that is also the book, as you mentioned. You know, these kind of characters arrive there with their different issues to resolve, but they're quite you know, some of them are quite hard hitting. You know, you mentioned things like uh, a dementia and relationship breakdowns and even abortion and, and kind of the complicated relationship that Ireland has in its past with, with the kind of legalities around that as well. So of these kinds of topics, but what kind of made you feel that you wanted to write about these topics in particular? I think a number of things. There's
1: quite, as you said, there's a broad range of topics in the book. And I and I hope I deal with them in a way that's balanced and fair. Um, there, there is a situation where somebody contemplates having a termination, and I suppose I've worked into that both the positives and negatives of going either route. Because, because for some people, you know, each person their own. It, it's a different, it's a different road for everybody, and, and everybody I hope, hopefully, comes at this point in time has the, has the opportunity to make a choice that suits them. But it wasn't always the case in Ireland. And people ended up having to make really, really tough decisions that they had to live with while those people who made the laws didn't have to live with them and uh, and I think and we're seeing I mean we're we're seeing the world hinge back to that in in some colors, you know still in many many parts of the world where women are losing choice and it's it's an important thing I think for us not to forget the importance of it um and it's also important the idea that I mean choice now is very different to choice as it was. I mean, it's not a it's not, it's not a day in the clinic anymore. It's, it's, it's a simple question of going into a chemist. So I, th- I think that was important. I also think that while dementia plays uh, like it's about a quarter of the book, there's, there's a big conversation at the moment between authors and writers and about how older people are portrayed in books. And very often, older people are portrayed in books a bit like me, but can't use the technology. But actually, most people I know who are in their 70s have smartphones and they use them very well and they're completely off with Facebook. Well, Facebook is old for them. They're moved from Facebook now and they're looking at TikTok. And do you know what I mean? And people have moved on. And I want to portray age balanced. Not, I, okay, Esme is 82. She's not looking for young love, but she's looking to make a choice about um, how she lives and she's looking to be in control of that and she's looking to be the one in charge of her own destiny and life what remains of it her guest house is unfortunately falling in around her ears and she's not looking to have you know um, a whole new health spa built on underneath it but she wants to continue living the life that she's always lived and be relevant and be strong and vibrant and do you know what I mean as much as her body will allow her to be and on the other side of that Phyllis's husband isn't getting much choice but in many ways, Phyllis's husband has been smart enough to make his decisions many years before, and because he knew this could be coming down the road for him. And I suppose I I have read quite a few books where older people are sort of I won't say there's a lack of respect, but maybe 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 they're, maybe they're just portrayed in a way that that's slightly different. And I just wanted to, I wanted to give another side of it. That that so yeah so yeah there are issues. Most of my books would have issues that are, um I suppose kind of meaty we'll say, but um but I mean isn't that what drives us to make decisions that are you know life-changing and life-forming and you know make us better characters sometimes
0: I think I think as well it kind of can drive a book I don't know sometimes people throw in a, a dramatic event for the purpose of there being another step another problem in the road that needs to be tackled and that's a completely viable way to tackle a book I think there's something about this book that's really reassuring and it's because I think that it's it's a very sort of measured journey you know that you follow these characters on and I think you handle these topics with such a reassuring tone and, and a sympathetic voice that it it doesn't feel like just a plot point it feels like a real issue that's being tackled and dealt with as a real person would. Yeah
1: I hope it's even handled I, I hope Hattie that it's even handed that it's not I know um, some readers will read it and they they will be pro-life or they will, you know, they will not maybe want to see maybe two sides of things. But um I very much wanted it to, to be a two-sided argument. no matter what side of the fence you stick on, I think I think choice is really important, you know, and I think having two sides of a thing is really important.
0: In my research um before this interview, I was sort of reading that you have a background in intellectual disabilities and the mental health sector as well. So do you think that Maybe that experience shapes the way that you perceive some of these sort of issues and probably come at it from a more sympathetic and reassuring perspective.
1: I worked for 20 years in intellectual disability settings. And when I when I joined that sector, I already had a degree in psychology and I really thought I was like, oh, the bee's knees and the cat's meow. I mean, I thought I just knew it all going in that door. And it's quite amazing how much you learn from people who are perceived to be less than, if you know what I mean, in, in terms of, well, certainly in terms of academic achievement, but 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 there are many ways to measure <laughs> a value of people, and they certainly know how to um, put things in perspective and make you look at the world very differently. And I think, like any writer, you know, most writers really only get going in their 40s, 50s and later, because it's that life experience behind them that shapes how they see things and, and and how they perceive things and how they can actually portray things. Whereas 20 years before that, like I say, I just, I knew everything. I had nothing to learn. I was so lucky. <laughs> um, but it turned out not to be the case at all. And uh, it's it's everything from, I mean, going for coffee with somebody and meeting somebody that you think you know really well and the way they'll react to the person that you're with is very telling in a way that you'll never you never see that side of people um, without being in that situation. Yeah, I think perhaps maybe it did. I think it also like it affected everything from even how you parent your own children. Mm. Um if I had I came to parenthood, I wasn't I, I wasn't the youngest mother on the ward when I had children, shall we say. But I think that the experience of having worked in intellectual disability and, and mental health, um, I think it very much made me a more even handed apparent and much more patient and um to give me the ability maybe to see the two sides of the coin much I'm not saying I'm brilliant at it but much better than I would have been able to do it before that experience you know mm. yeah mm. definitely it does affect.
0: And you write under both Faith Hogan and Geraldine Hogan with sort of your crime fiction novels being under Geraldine so I wanted to ask how the writing process is different whether you're tackling crime fiction or this kind of uh uplifting fiction it's very different
1: (laughs) (laughs) two very different sorts of books yeah um when I'm doing a first draft of say Logan books I will sit in a big comfortable chair here behind me sometimes I'll have a big dressing gown on me blanket off me you know and I just snuggle down and I let the pen go and away we go and we're off the crime fiction is different you do have to sit down and really plan and while my crime fiction would be very character driven and there's no doubt about the fact it's not it wouldn't be bloody gory shoot and kill them you know and um, stuff but it would be very character driven but there's a lot more plot and um, you have to really tighten things up you have to really plan I have to plan some people I see some people and they can just write a crime novel and they just take off and they don't even know what's going to happen at the end of it kind of have to have a little bit more than that whereas the 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 uplifting fiction is just um it's just lovely to write it now you spend a lot of time editing it afterwards when you sit down and you write stuff like but I wrote The Lady's Midnight Serene Club and I wrote it at a time when I couldn't go into the sea. And I basically just sat in the chair and closed my eyes. It's very immersive and you leave a day's writing and, OK, you can be tired, but you actually feel in some ways, I don't know, refreshed because you've been in another world, you know. So, yeah, so very different, but um, but both equally, equally both enjoyable. And um, there's a certain kind of a sharpness to the crime fiction that
0: you go, oh, yes. I suppose as with reading writing forms its own form of escapism so if you're sitting there writing a lovely like cozy novel you get the treat of being immersed in that world but if you're probably in in the grittier sharper world of crime fiction it can be a way of I don't know enacting a life that you couldn't otherwise have so that's interesting as well.
1: You had I have and at times that I've been sitting in the chair and the sweat is just pumping from my head <laughs> because I'm writing something and I'm kind of against the clock, maybe I'm going to go and do something and I have to get it done before I finish but actually it's the plot that's actually it's like as if you're there and the plot is actually and you, and you're, and you just come to him, and you go, I'm worn out <laughs> <laughs> and, and you are you know, and, and reading is, yeah you're right reading is a lot like that, you can really sort of get caught up in it, you know, and and those are the best books though that you get caught up in. Are the best stories?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of what kind of books do you like to read? Oh, I love everything. <laughs> there just isn't enough time to read all the books. Um
1: I love I'm there there's some books I'm okay, I'm a sucker. If if Kate Atkinson, I don't care if she I don't care what she brings out, I'm gonna read it. I adore um Rachel Joyce, Joanne Cannon. Penelope Fitzgerald never gets old, I can go back and reread those. Growing up, I loved Ros- Rosamund Pilcher. She would have been a really favourite, you know. Um, now, the crime, um, I love stories that are kind of character driven in crime. So I love Benjamin Black, who I I love, the Simon Soralia. Yeah, there's so many books out there. There's so many, and there are so many books this year that are coming out that are really, really good, you know so yeah too many books too little time
0: <laughs> you use the library card that's what i say
1: yeah oh the library and borrow box i mean yeah. borrow box is amazing I just i mean i yeah you go for a walk every morning and you've got your audiobook book on i love it for factual books i love it for non-fiction books but even you know, fiction is just great on borrow box yeah yeah and the kids i mean can't be the library for kids you know
0: no oh, exactly well that's my next question was going to be actually what you know obviously we talked to a load of authors and you know authors love books by by virtue they are of, as people and almost all of them have a connection to libraries in some kind of way so i wanted to ask you know what what's the significance of libraries to you
1: oh, i love libraries um they in our town here we have a library grown up we were we were always very lucky because we, we don't have a very big town But we always had a library and about 10 years ago the library moved from not a very nice building okay to a beautiful building it's a very historical building in the middle of the town it was a hotel but it's a building that has so much history attached to it when you walk through the doors you go oh you could just stay there for the day and the staff of course are the same staff that were always there so they're just lovely to deal with but i I remember as a child not as a child but as a teenager more so i remember the library was was the one place you could go to because we had a fabulous independent bookstore in Belna, but it was a small independent bookstore and they just had a limited number of books. The library had everything. I mean, anything you wanted the library could get you. And I remember going through a phase of um, biographies. I mean, the, all the Hollywood stars, all any writer I could get, Daphne, do any And you couldn't buy those books because they were all hardbacks. They were really expensive books. And you had an amazing, like you just had this amazing resource on your doorstep. And I often wondered, I mean, I don't know how you don't have to queue up the town to get in the library door. Honestly, I don't, because it's all there, you know, and it always was there, you know, and it was just, oh, I just loved the library, you know, and some of those books that I read as a teenager, I'm going around my kids say, oh God, you're just like, I've, I've all these silly facts in my head that are meaningless and utterly useless to anybody. And then they'll mention something maybe about Audrey Hepburn or about, um, oh marilyn monroe or whoever it is i said oh yeah did you actually know that she knew or she was married too and they go oh, do you know that <laughs> the, library, the library there we go yeah
0: so yeah the library is great yeah very funny i i love i love the idea that um the the building that the library is in in your town is sort of seen an upgrade is is i think there's something really special about placing value in in the space that a library has because you know as you say people do spend the day at the library sometimes particularly in this cost of living crisis and everything people are definitely a lot more I don't know using community spaces like that and and it's really lovely to hear that in your town they've placed that into an even yeah. mm.
1: they have they're very lucky it was a hotel so the whole ground floor is used for books but upstairs there are meeting rooms and we would have run creative writing classes there and reading groups there. And it, it's just, it's a hub for people who who want to be involved. But even if it's something that's not book related and you have a group, I mean, I saw some of the lads with disabilities who might want to run something and they could run an exhibition there. Or, you know, it's lovely for a book launch. And it's just it's just a great space to have, you know. But then anywhere you have the Surrender Books, even our old library was lovely to walk into it. It was just a bit drafty. <laughs> you know? it, it was you know it was just it was a bit drab but but you know but once you fill a place at sure isn't it you know isn't it just fabulous anyway yeah
0: definitely definitely oh no that's brilliant that's so, so good to hear that you've had such a good experience so I suppose my final kind of question then is what's next on the horizon for you and, and are there another book coming out anytime soon or are we waiting for this one and then leaving it for a while um, I'm working on something else now. Um,
1: well, I'm working on something else. I'm editing something else. I have something else written. It may be our last trip to Ballycove. I'm I'm hoping to do something different than after that. Um, It'll still be uplifting. It'll still be set in this area. Um, but the next book will come out hopefully next summer 2024. It is a story about a woman who comes to Ireland, who is looking to find the daughter she didn't know her husband had. And uh, I think she's coming really to wreak revenge. when she <laughs> finds herself, unbeknownst to her, she's coming to Bally Cove, and so there is just no way out of it. she's going to have to fall in love with the bliss. Um, but she finds herself drawn into this huge family, this huge, big Irish welcoming family. And her trip to Ireland becomes something she never expected it to be at all. And that will be, I think... the moment that would be probably the finale of the um of the ballycove books so some of the characters who have appeared in the other books will appear in that Mm. and um yeah i really enjoyed writing that on the (laughs) side yeah so but that doesn't come out until 2024
0: sounds like a a really like lovely last final chapter to ballycove and and a, a final love letter I think so yeah we have we have a bookshop in it
1: um but I'll have to get a library into my next series
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no that would that be amazing oh well uh, I'm sure that as soon as the guest house by the sea hits the shelves in Hampshire we're going to be you know selling out people are going to be reserving it for sure sure. I hope so
1: and I do hope they enjoy it I hope that really enjoys it
0: yeah thank you so much for joining us Thank you so much for having me, Hattie. It was lovely talking to you about it.